Welcome to Biota Live. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on TalkShoe, February 20th, 2010. Biota Live is a continuation of the Biota Podcasts. For more information on the Biota Podcasts, please go to biota.org slash podcast. Well, this podcast is being recorded a wide variety of times on Saturday, and in order to get Gerald de Jung to participate at a reasonable time, folks will recall normally we call him or have him on the call around midnight or 5 a.m. his time. I'm recording it currently uh, 10 a.m. Pacific, which should be a relatively reasonable time on a Saturday for me to record. And uh, I see Gerald in the chat room, so Gerald will call in uh, when he has the chance to. But I thought I'd start with some news and notes. And first, I wanted to uh, send out a congratulations to Michigan State University. They have a new computational biology center, I believe. I don't actually have the press release in front of me. I just made very quick notes. But when I first saw the email, I thought, Michigan State University, why does that sound familiar? Well, they are the folks that have brought us Avida to date. Uh, and obviously, they've got a little bit of funding. They've secured a, a center, some kind of teaching uh, facility, and it's wonderful news. For folks who are listening in who are either part of Avida or are students or former students of that program at Michigan State, it would be really wonderful to have someone from Michigan State on the Bio podcast to have a talk about Avida, the new uh, center that they've set up, uh, and just, yeah, general kind of shooting the breeze, similar to uh, last Bio Live when we had uh, Hervé Noel on. It would be wonderful to have someone from that facility on BioLive to talk a little bit about the facility, what it's doing. It was very interesting when it was uh, announced in a newspaper, the uh, a newspaper online, I should say. The comments in the newspaper online indicated that uh, these kind of courses are still rather controversial in the U.S. I thought it was a bit strange, but obviously, uh, you know, if a press release go out goes out, all quarters can. Uh, refute or discuss the press release in their own forums and then send folk on to the actual news report. So anyway, congratulations to Michigan State University. It's wonderful to see these kind of uh, centres uh, evolve uh, and it's wonderful to get a sense that there will be a new generation of students going through talking about stuff associated with artificial life. So I have a few questions associated with various Dick Gordon book projects that I was going to say for Gerald. Um, so I'll wait till Gerald comes on and talk to him a little bit more about that. I did want to talk a little bit about the uh, Philosophy of Biology Conference in Salt Lake City. It has a very long acronym in 2011. And that currently is being associated with one of these Dick Gordon book projects. I had earlier announced that it was going to be a Biota 5 conference. I'm not really sure if that's still going on. My sense is that what will happen is that there may be a group of artificial life-related folk who attend. We have Gerald on the call. I'll just bring him in. Hello, Gerald. Hello there, Tom. I was just talking about various Dick Gordon book projects. Are you involved with any of the current Dick Gordon book projects? No, no not at all. Uh, one of them was attached with the, I'm just calling it the Philosophy of Biology Conference. It has a much longer acronym, which I'm still fumbling to remember. But that's going on in Salt Lake City in 2011. I somewhat prematurely announced it as being possibly a Biota 5 conference, but it's looking more like it's going to be attached to uh, the specific Dick Gordon book. For background for folks listening in, rather than just calling them Dick Gordon book projects, one of the books is on the uh, origin of life on Earth and in other planets, 
And the other one is on the origin of design in nature. Uh, and these are two, I guess, relatively controversial topics in, in various quarters. There is a third book project, which I'm not sure what that, that one is on, but I'm sure Dick will announce to the community uh, in the near future. But my understanding is both those previous two books are still open, Gerald. So if you wanted to write for either or both of those, um, do you have any interest in the origin of life on Earth and other planets and similarly the origin of design in nature? The origin of design in nature? Um, you mean of writing a chapter for this book? or Yeah, uh, yeah perhaps, perhaps, although uh, it's a... Uh, I'm not exactly where you'd search for uh, for, uh, for for concrete things to say at this level, but I'm sure I'm sure we could think of something. So my <laughs> is, it, is, is it is it straightforward to you? Well, I think it's all to do with the word design. I mean, I think the the problem with the word design is semantically it is it is smeared across a number of disciplines, none of which are biology. I might point out as well. So the whole idea of what design means when you talk to an architect, a mathematician, an engineer, an economist, they all have different meanings with regards to this word design, and none of them yeah, mean but, the same thing as intelligent if, design. No, but if you're, if you're talking about the, the design in nature, um, I mean, what one thing that we can uh, sort of talk about sensibly is you know, the incremental design from, from one thing to the next. If you have a, a random mutation and it happens to be advantageous, it will survive, etc. So you can always, it's sort of a, um, a, an inductive argument. You know, once you're here, you can, uh, you can talk about design as, or at least apparent design as having come from, uh, you know, random uh, mutations and then uh, and selection or whatever whatever other mechanism is appropriate. But when you when you add the word origin in there, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the origin of design is you know random mutation and and natural selection. But if you think of origin in terms of where did the design begin and what did it look like when it began, that's an entirely different question. And I'm really not prepared to talk much about that at all because. It happened a long time ago, and I think uh, we, uh, you know, we could we could speculate somewhat, and and we can do experiments, but uh, I really don't think we can say a lot about the very first design that emerged, because it was only slightly more designed than what preceded it, which was no design. So, you know, how do you distinguish between uh, uh, one, uh, you know, infinitesimal? position and, and, and the next. Well, that was certainly my... I mean, Dick originally proposed, I think, a set of seven books associated with the origin of dot, dot, dot. And I put back to him, and I've said this in a previous bias live, what he needed, which was missing from these set of books, was the origin of origin in terms of the philosophy, the, the, the metaphysics, even the physics associated with attributing an origin to any of these things. Because as you've noted, the whole notion of origin with regards to uh, it, doesn't have an or it doesn't have design, it doesn't have a design, it doesn't have design, oh, mysteriously design has occurred here, is, is problematic with regards to all these topics. So I think what interests me within these, these book chapters, and as, as you've noted, none of them are really things that I talk about or develop with regards to Noble Ape or even through the discussions of Biota, 
is the potential for artificial life to offer something novel to the discussion. And I think what you've described is exactly the, the problem associated with the language. Um, but within that, I think well, there's some if, exploration. If, if, as far as tr contributing to the discussion, I mean, if, if you... If you're, uh, you know, fully conscious of the fact that uh, design uh, emerges very, very slowly by the process of, uh, of, uh, you know, natural selection, um, then, then you can you can find it all over the place because what you're looking for is is the slightest, uh, you know, in, in, in the slightest advancement of some kind, and you know, in the context of something that's already working very well. So it's just, you know, there, if you can see the slightest refinement happening, then you're already there. It's just uh, when people talk about the origin of design, uh, you could say the origin of design is something that occurs, uh, you know, with every biological creature, with every biological species all the time. Like the origin of this design, it's, it's of course still happening, just like it always did. There's nothing... Uh, you know, there's nothing halting it. It's not a historical thing. It's still happening. It's just that when when people think origin, they they think of the very very first design. But you know, there's also you know we've talked about um, uh, RNA world. You know, like the the, the situation where uh, it's I think somewhat speculative. But when the entire world was dominated by RNA because DNA hadn't arrived yet and it it, uh, it hadn't been sort of uh, overruled by by a, a better mechanism, so that's that's one thing you always have to keep in mind. I mean, as as soon as you get the slightest uh, ability to replicate pattern, then this pattern, you know, once it sort of spontaneously replicates, this pattern will take over the entire universe because there's nothing better than it yet. You know, it's it's just a, a bit of pattern, and and it spreads throughout the universe. It's when uh, when all the resources are used up, and and, and it starts competing with itself that uh, that you get potentially refinements in the pattern, and and it goes on and on and on from there. But you know, going for, looking for the for the very first example of design might be, uh, you know, not much more than observing the very first bit of what you might call non-randomness and, and what that might be. And, and it just, it, it won't really speak to people. The, the thing that really has to be realized, I think, when you're talking about design in, in, in nature is that it's, um, it's, it just didn't happen quickly at all. It happened very, very slowly and very, very incrementally. Certainly, certainly. Well, I think you've just described a perfect chapter for Dick's book. So if you, if you want to pay well, someone's transcription fee and then submit it to Dick, I'm sure he'd be, uh, he'd be more than happy to have that as a, as a chapter uh, within, this, within this time. Um, I'm not mm. sure how far Dick is going to go with regards to these origins of books. I think my main concern is that they are, I wouldn't want to say intellectual perturbations of the artificial life community, but really they, I guess anything that makes us move outside our comfort zone may be seen to be beneficial. Uh, but I think the underlying and more pressing questions within the community itself would, would also make interesting books. But Dick is doing his, his own thing currently. I have put this to Liz Swan, who is also an editor, uh, together with Dick and, and Joseph Seckbach, with regards to the origin of, uh, what is it, the origin of design in nature, 
but I think you know this this could be an interesting book project, and it is directly tied with this philosophy of biology conference in Salt Lake City 2011. Uh, but the other thing with regards to the community is that we're also in a position where we could create our own books, and certainly I think I started this year's uh, biotolite discussion, or maybe end of last year's, with exactly this point. And a, a question I have to you, Gerald, I mean, as you listen to these kind of things, how important are books to you today? Obviously, they were important through your early developments of artificial life and prior to then, but do you still find yourself reading books which impact you in a way which change your general your general world view? Oh, yeah. This, this sort of thing happens from time to time whenever you... you pick up a book and that that really has a has an effect on you and and um like right now i'm reading strangely enough i'm reading a book uh, by uh, roger penrose uh that's uh describing sort of the origins of health uh, and like for example the you know the usages of uh, complex numbers and and uh, in, in in the Fourier transform and stuff like that, you know, these are inspiring things. But it comes from all different angles. And 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 what inspires a person to do artificial life uh, coding is, uh, you know, the it can be anything. And as you probably have uh, recognized from your contact with all the different people who have done it, the, the inspiration comes from from every which way, and it's really hard to pin down. And I can't at all say that I was inspired by a book that was written on artificial life. I guess my question relates more to the medium of a book these days, whether that still, I mean, obviously that still speaks to people that have been inspired by books previously, but certainly, I mean, I've had some feedback through the, the process associated with getting feedback on, on Biota for the Future, which is identified, and I think Hervé did that perfectly as well, that this podcast, at least in Hervé's um, example, has acted as inspiration for them, which seems to be akin or even probably greater than a book in, in some regard. I'm, I'm wondering on a kind of personal level whether my own attachments to books, and probably I'm preaching to the choir here talking to you, is something which doesn't map well to, to all parties. I mean, you've been using Mitch recently, as a, as a kind of consultant with regards to the development of Darwin at home or uh, Tetragotchi as, as it is now in, in, in name. Uh, do you get the sense that Mitch is similarly and his generation are similarly inspired by books as, as we are? And what do you think would the, be the ideal medium for, for someone of Mitch's generation? Oh, I I would uh, make uh, I would venture a guess that there's certainly a small proportion of kids at his uh, at his age group that that are inspired by books. You know, it's a, it's a real uh, it's a real sort of fringe community. There, these kids are they they all they're on online all the time. Um, and uh, funnily enough, I was talking to him uh, this morning about how he connects up with people on the on the net, and uh, I was surprised to find out that, that his actual, uh, you know, his sort of home online is a particular forum that he's found, and it's related to a particular musical group. But that is the place he logs into the moment he goes online, and that's that's his uh, his posse kind of, you know, and they're all interested in in uh, this group and and sort of groups like it and whatever. And the core thing that that, that I was uh, able to, uh, to get out of him was that it's it's actually the people who are there that is the attractive thing. It just happens to be the right community, the right um, you know combination of people. 
And, uh, you know, in, in uh, bio is sort of a similar sort of thing where we've got a bunch of people who uh, who like to do this uh, this sort of experimentation or like to philosophize on it. And uh, and it's the attractiveness of it is actually, you know, the, the, the sum of the parts in a way, plus, of course, the, the dynamic of people getting people together. But, it, you know, it, it, it stands or falls based on who's there. Certainly. Certainly, and I think this this lends perfectly into the topic of the discussion I wanted to to have with you today, associated with this very feedback that I've been receiving with regards to biota and and potentially creating a a new site which uh, has elements of what you're describing. In fact, I have in my notes here forums being a part of that. But before we move on from this topic of music and the ability of, of music to to capture um, a new generation of interest. I mean, this is something that's always caught me with regards to artificial life music, that there is an element of uh, electronica and even the broader artificial life art community that could bring uh, a number of new folk into the the broader community and certainly onto a a site like Biota. And when you look at um, kind of youth music elements, I have friends that were part of MTV for a number of years and certainly through the discussions of reworking the biota site I got them involved um, because they have a a very keen understanding of particular demographics that I think are critical for the artificial life community to maintain and move on really people of of Mitch's generation fundamentally and I think what you're describing is echoing exactly the same feedback that I've received from from those quarters as well that uh, the kind of thing that inspires all of us can be found in a wide variety of different media, and the trick is creating a site that has all these components that will bring all these people in, but as you've noted, also nurture them. And it's certainly the feedback that I've received initially, and the, the feedback is certainly still open as folks listen to this, and if they have feedback from the discussion today, please do get in contact with me directly, tom at noble8.com because certainly my own thinking associated with this is still being perturbed in a a variety of directions, and all I have is a kind of collection of scattered notes. But I I was kind of formulating aspects of the idea of a almost fresh meat or source, so it's really more like fresh meat in terms of just having links and people uh, and projects. So there would be a group of projects, there would be a group of people, Anyone could log into the site and create new projects. And there are various interfaces, and I've been exploring this and forwarding some of these on to you as well, Gerald, associated with how kind of cross-collaboration could work. But as I first gave you this idea, you originally thought, well, you know, we have the necessary resources just with Biota on its own. But within probably a couple of emails, I brought you around to understanding this potential direction. Do you want to give a description of your own view with regards to what this thing will look like for the biotech community? Well, you were talking about searching for a new way of, uh, of you know, presenting the site and presenting the community. And um, so I, I was just looking to uh, come back at you with very specific questions. Of what do you think is wrong right now? Because um, like I was just saying a little earlier on, it's all about who's there you know it's not necessarily so much about what it looks like or or what it does um my son for example is is uh the the thing that he um connects with is a forum 
And so um, based on that discussion, I was looking immediately into the, the actual software behind the actual forum that he's involved with. And it turns out to be quite straightforward, could be easily installed. So I was thinking maybe I could do that for Tetradoshi when it comes out as a game. So you, you have a, a place where people can you know, express themselves and stuff. And, uh, and he said, there, you know, there's uh, a lot of... Uh, moderation involved because you've got to sort of keep the keep the spam at bay but uh, but uh, it is a, it is an interesting way to, uh, to, to you know get get uh, get something boiling and and you know invite people in so they don't have to uh, they don't have to be so deeply involved in order to they you know, just uh, participate to some degree so maybe a, maybe a forum is a good idea Certainly. I mean, my own investigations with regards to forums, and this is pretty publicly tracked on my uh, weblog of, I guess, three or four years ago now, and we'll, we'll come to blogs as well in the discussion. But my own experience with regards to forums was exactly this uh, moderation component um, and also the ability for forums to be hacked, particularly if you use relatively generic forum software. Um, so, I mean, certainly the, the packages that I've been looking at with regards to hosting this all have forum options, and I think a forum is a, a critical part of this, this puzzle, a critical piece in it. But the thing that strikes me with regards to forums is that it, is, it will appeal to a very specific group in the community. And what I find, I mean, I've, I've had experience with forums in a wide variety of, of areas, and there is a phenomenon associated with people that just live on forums. Um, I find this particularly, I mean, the, the current state of the economy here seems to put a lot more people online for a lot more time. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how, how this actually breaks down, but they obviously have sufficient survival that they can maintain an Internet connection, you know, up, up until things really deteriorate heavily. But what concerns me with regards to forums is if I was, I mean, the, the two demographics that I want to talk to specifically that came to me associated with the problem of the current biota community is first new people. And this is really new people at any age that have come to the potential of developing or some interest in artificial life through a wide variety of sources, books, maybe this podcast, maybe um, seeing something on television or watching films like Avatar or these kind of things. There are a wide variety of things in popular culture that would bring someone back to Biota. I mean, particularly Spore, these kind of things as they, as they move through. And the issue is really for someone who is new to artificial life. We had this recently with a post in uh, the Biota Conversations mailing list associated with a fellow who had a background of uh, web development experience and he wanted to find artificial life projects that were specifically associated with web development that he could use his existing skill set in order to get into. Now, the first thing is, ideally that would have come through something on the Biota site to start off with, and this is this idea of a dynamic uh, user-maintained site in terms of just the, the face of the site, that he could have gone selected through, as you do through Freshmeet or all these kind of sites, found specifically web development-oriented artificial life projects and basically found an answer to the, the question without having to even, even post into the mailing list. But the problem that I see with regards to forums in general is that it's very easy uh, for forums to kind of take over and move in, a, in their own direction. I'll give a specific example uh, because I'm going to talk about podcasts as well through this discussion. I have another podcast associated with uh, model rail, uh, building model railroads, simple model railroads, various scales, introductory hobbyist stuff. This, for me, is honestly you know, a tertiary hobby. It's not really a hobby that I 
uh, have spent much time doing like I have artificial life in the past 10 years. But what I saw was that there was a need for a podcast in the genre that was free, similar to Biota Live, and basically put information out there for a broader community because there's nothing like that that exists in this field. There are a couple of podcasts that are all about selling products and you know a wide variety of strange business models, but they don't actually put the information out to the general public. The forums that are associated with Model Rail as well are really bitter. They have a few people that are on the forums all the time. The idea that someone new or wanting new information would come to these forums and actually get that information is you know, unlikely at best because of the nature of the people that inhabit the forums fundamentally. So in order to create a forum culture for new users, I would need to work against some of the underlying forum structure. In my own experience, when I announced a new podcast on one particular forum, uh, I was attacked, uh, the posts were blocked, the forum moderators who basically maintained the status quo of the kind of nasty folk that were involved stepped in and went in favour of the nasty folk involved. And ultimately, I think that shuts down forums um, in terms of a productive benefit. So in terms of forum culture itself, I, I understand that for particular topics they work very well, but in terms of the moderation time, the way that we structure these forums may be uh, specifically associated. Like, for example, you and I, as uh, long-term existing project developers, would have one section of the forum that we would potentially inhabit or talk about how specific projects or these kind of things. But then there would be a group of us that had, you know, that were interested in fostering or helping out new folk that were involved in another section of the forum, for example. But my concern with regards to forums per se is that as a beginner enters a forum, uh, they may have a particular set of expectations or they may just be turned off forums. I mean, I personally am pretty turned off forums as a means of communicating through and this isn't just with regards to model rail, this is a wide variety of other topics, but the notion of the, the way forums set themselves up, that the people that live on the forums maintain the forums and it moves in a, in a particular direction. Obviously, your son's experience, does your son get a sense that his forums are heavily moderated? He was saying that uh, the forum that he was on was, um, was quite um, heavily moderated, but I think it's also really, really like I was saying before, um, a question of who is there and who's doing it. Yeah, like you, you were saying that uh, yeah, this particular forum, you, you introduced something and, um, and it was removed or people reacted negatively, et cetera, et cetera. That just could be because the people there have gone sour. That's and, exactly uh, my point. But my concern is that the underlying infrastructure associated with the forum Firstly, if someone comes in, they may have the background of all these previous bad former experiences. But similarly, the how okay, let, let's presume that we create a forum and somehow it goes sour through uh, particular people. They want to talk about their particular projects and other new projects come in. There are a wide variety of political ways that forums can go sour. And my concern... I, I have no problem with forums in general. I think particularly with regards to forums that cater to topics that, as you say, are moderately moderated to heavily moderated. These things can work successfully. But the potential for forums to go sour is almost due to their, their inherent structure and the kind of people that are, you know, will, will feel particularly passionately about their topic may not necessarily so, be... So. So what would be the alternative? I mean, we've just discussed forums so far, but what other things have you been thinking about? Well, 
the two things I mean, the, the idea of a project page, which means, firstly, you, you have, as, as we described through our correspondence, there's the idea of actually finding a project. And the process associated with finding a project can be very passive. It can be coming to a site and seeing, oh, there are all these different project classifications, which that in itself is problematic. We might talk about that. But just going through the project classifications, you find yourself on the Tetragotri uh, project page. Now, what may happen, and this is something I've been contemplating, is that, for example, if you want to hold a Tetragotri forum on your Tetragotri site, then the project page may just link through to that. I mean, I'm not really interested in reinventing the wheel with regards to infrastructure, and that would put people immediately on your site with the stuff, and basically the site would act as a filter that could be updated. But the other part of this, so, so this is the first thing, passive search through, find the project, get involved. Um, that way, you know, the, the problem of the forum is, is localized to specific projects. The other thing that has caught me is has come recently with regards to the Graysum site, and as, as we both know, the Graysum site is currently not really down, but is in the process of maintenance for a relaunch in March when the Boston folk have um, a, a series of, of Graysum meetings. And my use of the Graysum site was almost exclusively associated with the blog. There was some infrastructure associated with that, but I really liked the uh, blog as an ability to get out to a wide group of people who had a, a broader interest in artificial life. And the blog had a kind of eclectic group of people, uh, some associated with Boston, some associated with the other Graythums, but probably a majority of the folk not really affiliated with Graytham at all. They were just looking for an artificial life-related blog. So blogs work in a similar way to forums in terms of it being a focal point, and then you have kind of the blog comment phenomena which I don't have as much problem with as I do the kind of uh, toxic forum phenomena. Um, but I think blogs are another example. I also, funnily enough, as we talk on a podcast, like the dynamics associated with open podcasts. And certainly part of this process is probably creating at least one, if not two, additional podcasts that relate to artificial life, but in specific areas, which I'll talk a bit about about later on. In addition to this, let me just have a look down here. So we've got projects, we've got individual people pages, which I think link into projects and also give people the opportunity to say, I write a blog here, go to the blog here. And I mean, for example, the role, when, when I was going through the surveying, and I did have some feedback from John Klein, but the role that John Klein plays in the community and people like Dave Kerr, they not only represent their own projects, but they are also, and uh, John McCormack in Australia as well, these are, these are nurturing individuals that generally support the artificial life community by assisting people who are new or people who are using their specific packages. I mean, you and I do this as well. And I think the role of individuals within this nurturing um, uh, aspect is particularly associated with people that are new to artificial life or interested in getting involved with projects. I think all these things are part of the, the general solution. Forums is a part of that. Um, can you think of anything else? I've touched on blogs, podcasts, forums, this kind of searching direction. What else do you think would be necessary, Gerald? Well, um, we, we had a little bit of email uh, back and forth on this, and, and um, my, my thinking is uh, you know, it comes back to the same sort of principles, regardless of what you put down on the site as an implementation. I mean, in theory, if you had um, 
if you had a number of people doing different projects and they all had a, each they each had a blog, then you could have a sort of an, an aggregation of their um, of their feeds <clears throat> as the you know sort of the appearance, the running news feed of the site. Whenever anybody from uh, or whenever any of the projects had uh, some announcement or whatever, it would automatically appear in the RSS feed. So it becomes an editorial task and a sort of a you know, something to, it, 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 it's a kind of a, a group of people. That's what it comes down to. Any way you put it, it's a group of people. If you had um, project pages, you know, that's just basically uh, everybody's going to be maintaining their own sites and their own whatever um, forums or whatever they choose to do. Um, and um, so it comes down to more or less, you know, a page or a section of a page for each article. It becomes a place where you go to find the other things, a bit of a hub, you know, but it doesn't have to, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to do anything itself. It doesn't have to be so much itself. You know, you know if people can find there that they, you know, they click two clicks further and they're listening to the podcast, you know, uh, another click and they've got a list of, people who are doing different projects and maybe a little bit of a summary to get them interested, just sort of like a brochure of the, of the various things available. It's a, the point is when you, when you reach a site like this uh, and, and you, know, you want to uh, get your first impressions of, of what it is, what you really want is, uh, is, a, is a quick kind of overview of what the hell's going on here, who's involved and what are, the, you know, what are they thinking and, and what kind of things have come out of it. And that's got to jump out at you right away. And and in our case, of course, we've got a fairly diverse, certainly geographically uh, distributed group of people. Um, and we get together to have chats on this podcast, but um, everybody is, of course, toiling in their own uh, little universe uh, most of the time. So having a site like this for, for new people to arrive, what they should be able to uh, find is just you know the, a map of the territory, a, a basics basic map of the territory, maybe even, uh, you know, involving a map of the world. So you can say, oh, there's a, a little spot in Rotterdam where all the Tetragopsis live, for example. Certainly. No, I, I like the idea of geographic mapping back onto this as well, and certainly this is something that List One has discussed uh, too. It sort, of, it sort of makes it... It sort of makes it tangible, you know. You can uh, you can just put a, a little pinprick on uh, on uh, Dave Kerr and uh, and then you know uh, another pinprick in Las Vegas, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it, that's that's one. It's just like you know you've got to arrive at this site and you got to sort of say, okay, so this is what it is. There are all these people. Oh, no wonder it's kind of you know it's not this club of people that get together. Look, they're spread all over the world. You know, how could you expect them to get together? Okay, they get together virtually. Okay, you know, so you, you just sort of have to discover it that way. And you know, it comes, but for me, it comes back to the the, the people, the individuals. Who who is it? Um, and uh, what are they doing? Certainly, certainly. So the other group, aside from what I'm classifying as, as newbies, candidly are folks that are artificial life professionals. And this is a very interesting distinction here as well because I think long-term developers in some regard, even if they don't incur, even if they don't derive income from um, developing artificial life, it seem to be, and this seems to be a very fuzzy definition, seem to be classified within artificial life professionals. Obviously, we have people like um, Stephen Gurren, who um, was I, I was hoping would be on this call uh, today as well, uh, who are definitely artificial life professionals. We probably have people like um, Justin Lyon and potentially a, a few other participants in, in Bio to Live who 
a part of this class of artificial life professionals. This seems to be a group which has never really been uh, mentored or nurtured through the International Society of Artificial Life, but it does exist now, and it exists in a need where, um, certainly through the correspondence I've received, there seems to be a need for some aspect of, of this group to be nurtured through a site as well. My hope is that through the, the things that we're discussing associated with RSS feeds and uh, people's active contributions and these kind of things, they could be identified at least in the, the people group and also potentially through uh, either um, private or public uh, discussion groups that they can participate in. I had some um, particular correspondence with Larry Yeager associated with this because I think Larry is in the kind of crossover between this group and academia and certainly nurtures people into this group. This is a group which has never really shown itself through anything other than occasional podcasts and probably a variety of conferences that have aspects of interest through them. Uh, is, so, it, is, it, is it as far as you're concerned a group or is it uh, is not really a group at this moment? Well, that's exactly the point. I mean, I think the the... Idea. Maybe some of us aspire to be artificial life professionals as well, and this, I think, may be where the, the long-term uh, project hobbyist comes into this too. I think what the feedback that I've received is that people came to the Biota site that had this skill set, and many of them went away from the Biota site not feeling that there was a community there to nurture their particular skill set. And certainly the, my sense of that is that there is a need for something to be set up to work with this group. Now, as we're describing it, maybe this new site is not the right vehicle for that, but at least I think they wanted a kind of line in the sand. Now, changing tact slightly, the Artificial Life Work Group, which I kind of <laughs> accidentally set up towards the end of last year, also came into the discussion that I had with a, a few people about the Broader Biota site. And what that seems to have netted is the need for not a separate site here, because I think between all the sites that are currently exist and will be created in the future, there is certainly a home for the work group. But perhaps the need for simplifying the work group potentially into this artificial life professionals group, if it is a group. Does that make sense to you? I don't know. The the uh, the thing that comes up uh, occasionally is the idea of uh, you know splitting up into um, into multiple uh, sort of sub interest groups. But I don't know if that's uh, that's something that uh, makes a lot of sense at this point until until the the numbers get large and until there's there's just too much going on in in one place so that it makes sense to split it up into two places so people get more focus on on what they're interested in i think it's so that's an still... interesting point and i think the, the counter to that point is people that have particular interests that have come to the biota site and gone away because they feel that their interests haven't been specifically represented and there's, there's an interesting, there's an interesting uh, parallel with regards to open source development, and I find this all the time. Uh, the comment with regards to uh, there being a number of lists, and I agree with that, that the lists need to be simplified, particularly associated with the work group, um, is one that's certainly been taken on board. But the criticism that there aren't people contributing through the lists, and this is causally related to the problems with the list, I find problematic through this open source paradox. When you develop open source software for a length of time, there are people, particularly if you put it out through a wide variety of sources, not just open source sites, but also 
download sites, a wide variety of other sites. There are people that will post in forums, uh, here's the here's the F word again, and a wide variety of other places, even on these download sites, with regards to bugs that they have discovered. And they post in public places which don't give any feedback to their primary developer associated with how to fix those bugs, but they do it almost in a kind of showboating fashion. And it doesn't really contribute back to the open source development because I've, I've done this, I mean, developing Noble I've had this experience repeatedly where I've had people post, I've tried to contact the people to get specific details of the bugs because obviously I'm tracking them too and I want to get them fixed as well. But I think the, the issue with regards to all these kind of mechanisms is that they are represented by the people that are contributing to them. So if there is a problem with regards to the number of lists, I think that's been identified. The issue with regards to people contributing is a communication within the community that goes back to um, how we are interacting as a community. And I think what the feedback that I received from a number of people was they liked the fact that the lists were set up. They weren't sure about whether or not they should contribute to those specific lists, and the lists remained quiet. Now, in addition to this, obviously, I've described the dynamic with regards to people coming to the site and then going away from the site. Um, some of the most interesting feedback I received, and I'm not going to name names here, but was from a relatively long-term Biota Live participant who has moved away, from, or feels like they've moved away from the Biota community, specifically because the issues associated with being an artificial life professional and also their own particular artificial life development was not being discussed through the broader kind of Biota Conversations mailing list or Biota Live. So within that person, I kind of went through the list of um, specific problems that they had encountered. And I think the, the notion of uh, what we're describing here in terms of we've got to keep the site together and maintain numbers, and when we get to a critical mass, things will break off. I think there's, there's an added dynamic that there are people that have been part of the community that are now moving away from the community because we're not actively nurturing their particular interests. So it's always a catch-22 in these. I mean, as an open source developer, you must have encountered some of this with regards to open source development as well, Gerald. Well, yeah, you can't make everyone happy. I mean, there's, uh, you've got to, uh, uh, you know, just have the... Uh, just keep your probabilities as high as possible, but you can't really, uh, you can't expect to make everyone happy. It is there, you know, there's just too many different people out there. I understand that. I, the the issue is not with regards to making everyone happy. The issue is with regards to people. The the notion of value within this um, scheme is very interesting. So, the things that we attribute value to uh, are associated, firstly, with a contribution into the community, some kind of active discussion, these kind of things. Also, the length of time people have been developing projects, whether implicitly or explicitly. Now, that whole notion of the length of time that people have been developing projects means that anyone, any 15 to 19-year-old kid coming in has exactly the same problem that when I was a 15 to 19-year-old kid developing artificial life, is that you see exactly the same paradoxes that you're new, you're developing something that you consider interesting, yet you have a bunch of these kind of old stuffy dudes that you know, are talking about what they were doing 15 years ago. So, I mean, I think what you can see in this description is that we've created, not necessarily paradoxes within the community, but we've created inherently by our own value structures problems which almost eliminate new people from coming in 
and being active contributors to the same level that, that we have been. Do you understand that problem, Gerald? Uh, you're saying that's because of something that, that was done? Well, I'm saying that basically what we can argue about in terms of what sustains us will at the same point also potentially eliminate future others from coming in and participating. And I think whilst I agree you can't make everyone happy all the time, these two groups, as I've I kind of identified and isolated them with regards to the beginners coming in and also the artificial life professionals, wherever they may be, whether they were fringe drillers on the community to always start off from, I think there's certainly a group there, and particularly in terms of the long-term future of the community, I think we need to nurture these two groups. Now, the broader, the broader theme of biota hasn't always, or in some regard, has never been inclusive of either of these groups explicitly, but I think we need to start moving perhaps not through biota specifically, but perhaps through other sites to include these people in the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, include uh, people who are just just visiting uh, or just, you know, encountering it for the first time. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty tricky to do because people just come and go, and and these professionals uh, that that you're talking about, they, uh, I'm not sure they all rally around the same flag. Uh, oh, very much so. Oh no, the, no, without question. And I think within that group, you and this this is certainly the feedback that I've received as well, is that this this branding that we've been doing implicitly through Biota Live associated with artificial life and what other people develop and moving people in. This in itself is problematic. I mean, certainly thinking about creating a new site, going through potential site names, I've encountered this this thinking directly that what, what we are doing is trying to... Well, the first point I want to make is that the Biota site, Biota Conversations mailing list, this podcast are not going to change. So the issue is not with regards to changing Biota as a, as a community or what we do. The issue is with regards to finding vehicles, potentially other sites, potentially other podcasts, to bring in people who have been on the fringes of this biota community, potentially into the biota community or potentially into a broader community. So does that kind of... I mean, the, the issue is not necessarily changing biota. The issue is just create, facilitating with the knowledge that we've gained in biota these two additional groups. And you're right, the whole notion, and this is a broader problem, this is the work group problem, this is the International Society of Artificial Life problem associated with this notion of professionals because they come to it from all possible quarters, some with immediate contradictions with other particular quarters that they may come from. But what seems to be occurring, and whether this is just a group of people that bump into each other at conferences or what have you, I don't necessarily think it's that well-defined, is that there is another part of this community which is probably represented in terms of the correspondence that I've received by half a dozen of the people I've corresponded with, but it's still an area that I've always wanted to see the biota community move in, uh, and I think it's something that certainly talking with people, um, you know, this, whether they're called artificial life professionals at the end of this is, is probably, you know, beside the point. I think there's a group of people that we have a knowledge base that can nurture, and whether we do it through biota or some other site. You know, that, that's my mm. thing, apparently. Yeah, well, um, you know, everybody participates in their own way, of course. You know, you've got your own angle and your own um, way of thinking when you when you encounter Biota, and, and if you're uh, participating to some degree. I mean, for example, the whole thing originally came from uh, 
from Bruce Damer, but we don't even really hear him very much on the podcast, and he seems to be, uh, you know, off on his uh, on his adventure doing his PhD and everything. Uh, but there, you know, there's not a lot of communication from him on this subject uh, really whatsoever, and and you know, most of it is is coming from the discussions on the on the mailing list this uh, this podcast and and the odd thing that right, but if it's, if someone to, were to arrive at the community and uh, basically see a, a map of, of you know, even even faces, you know, just to, just to say that uh, this this person's doing this and that person has done this and uh, and you know little summaries of their of their projects. Basically, I mean, I'm thinking uh, if I could ask you, Tom, if you could, uh, for example, um, just sort of. Enumerate all the different projects that you that you can uh, that you can imagine or that you that you know of, and and just sort of put them. I mean, what are we talking about? Uh, two handfuls or one handful or or, or countless or thirty, forty? Well, this, this is this is part. You've you, you pointed out the, exactly the nature of the fact that we need the dynamic site to do this. What we have here, um, for me, I, I would say the number is probably around twenty. But when I start counting, I'm sure it would be slightly more than that. The issue with regards to active projects is also relatively critical. Isn't it true that there's really only more or less a, a handful or maybe two handfuls of, of active projects at the moment? Well, here again, and this is a semantic game, how would you define active? Uh, well, something has uh, something has happened. Uh, discussions are going on. Uh, code has been uh, changing uh, within the last year or something. Uh, you know, it's, it's all arbitrary what you say, but but uh, you know, there, there's a certain uh, um, value to uh, to uh, simplifications, even if they're not entirely uh, you know 100% justified. Just the simple fact that you come to a site and you say, hey. Those those eight projects are really interesting. This is the biota community, and if there's somebody who has a project that's really sort of fringy to that, I mean, you might take an example like, uh, for example, uh, Scott Schaefer. He um, he was uh, working on uh, on his project quite intensely for a while, and uh, and since then, you know, he's uh, he's got himself employed again, and he's no longer doing anything with it, as far as I've heard. So these these people will not, you know, be completely disappointed that they're not uh, mentioned at the, at the top of the list, but they will also want to be mentioned somewhere probably in the, in the, in the group of, uh, of people represented by the site because they they've have been involved and they're still interested in whatever. So, you know, when it comes down to it, I think that the number of things that um, kind of deserve people's attention when they arrive at the biota community from from outside is a, it's a small number and and if it's a small number then it's also much easier to fathom you know when you arrive you think oh okay so there's this handful of projects and they they grouped together and called themselves biota why is that you know you've got you've got it framed already in in a way that um, that seems uh you know not not bewildering Whereas if you say, you know, this is a community of 20, maybe 30, oh, if I were to look further, it'd be 40 or 50. You know, the, the, sometimes you just kind of have to uh, bite the bullet, draw the line, and uh, maybe even just uh, communicate with the people you want to uh, feature and just say, uh, you know, here we have the handful of people who are currently being featured. And that really simplifies it for, for an initial visitor. And you know, it allows people to really uh, uh, connect with it immediately rather than, um, encountering all sorts of ambiguity uh, the moment they arrive. Certainly. 
certainly. So to clarify a couple of points with regards to this, and you've seen some of this discussion with regards to Bruce specifically, but my original dream would be to do this on the Biota site. And I think Bruce, whilst I edit the site, Bruce owns the site. So that should be a point of clarification. Bruce wants to maintain the site in terms of a historical reference. And so whatever comes out of this associated with this new thing, uh, be it a list of projects, be it what have you, be it a dynamic site, it will be on a separate site. With regards to what you're saying, you're agreeing exactly with the the points that I'm making. There needs to be a, a site of this nature, dynamic, it needs to be updated. People need to populate the site initially and then this this information for, for folks who aren't actively developing projects will uh, enable new folks that come along who are interested in working with them to, to get involved. Uh, so, I mean, what you're, what you're echoing here, Gerald, is firstly the idea of a shell site fundamentally. The dynamic nature of the site only relates to people logging in and updating particular links and information, which then cross-populates. There is an ability for people who want to maintain forums, blogs, even podcasts with independent RSS feeds to link into the site and populate some kind of RSS feed uh, populator in the site. But what it will really provide is, as you describe, a way of identifying the community. Now, I've, I've had concerns associated with the notion of the biota community through this. And what you've described with regards to Bruce Damer, um, particularly in terms of his new focus with the Evo grid, I, I would echo. Um, my concern really is now what is biota in reference to the Evo grid, in reference to what has occurred over the past five years with regards to my editorial duties. So my own interest is maintaining this podcast, maintaining the conversations mailing list, but what you are describing with regards to the dynamic site will exist off the biota site, and that is a decision uh, which ultimately was Bruce Damers to make. Um, so reframing it in that context what i see um in in terms of what you're describing is just reiterated basically my own thinking um, in terms of additional functionality what more would you like to see with this new site uh, i'm not necessarily looking for any kind of functionality really i mean uh you know a forum might be some might, uh, might attract a certain kind of uh, person and a certain kind of interaction um I, i'm I would kind of refer back to what I said before, the idea of just a, a quick, uh, you know, map of the territory that comes across very straightforwardly. I think maybe the core um, thing that, that's necessary is maybe not even functionality whatsoever, just some sort of really um, well done, cleverly conceived graphical approach to, uh, you know, representing a, a bunch of projects and, and, uh, and the, the people involved and, um, you know, just uh, something that, that's uh, visually appealing and, and very, uh, you know, clear in its message rather than, uh, you know, if you go to this site right now, it's, uh, it's you know, I'm sure it's got the historical value that, that has to be preserved, it, but uh, it's not, uh, it's not really straightforward. What, uh, what's I, I agree entirely. And I think that was what I put back to Bruce initially was the idea which is very hard to, it's very hard to do right you know you, you really exactly. need uh, someone involved with a particular kind of talent like for example for my Tetragochi game I'm uh, 
getting in contact with a guy that I knew a long time ago, uh, and he um, he he does some really inspiring uh, graphics things with uh, with Photoshop and stuff. His name is Leno, and he's he's uh, interested to uh, to help me uh, give this thing a, a, a face, you know, give it the, the right kind of appearance because this is, you know, I I can I can code and I can make up sort of you know, graphical uh, expressions of things. But, you know, I'm humbled when, when, when somebody else uh, puts in a really good effort and, and, and does it really right. So maybe, maybe what's necessary is just uh, somebody with, um, with uh, you know, a, a sufficiently, uh, you know, earnest, uh, or, uh, you know, authentic interest in, in artificial life but then somebody with uh, with something like a graphical bent. I mean, is is there an artificial life artist there who could t- turn the site into a really interesting place to visit for the first time? Well, I, I have to agree with all those points. I mean, the difficulty, and certainly let's, let's this put, is a call-out as well to someone in the yeah, community with those let's talents. Yeah, let's put the call-out. <laughs> let's put the call-out right now. Any, any, any artificial life artists out there? Because, uh, you know, what you could do is, of course, you could create, uh, if, if an artist were interested in taking this on, you know, it might even be a student, you know, somebody doing a project uh, for for Marx or whatever. But, um, you know, the idea of, uh, of sort of, uh, you know, graphically filling out the site and, and you know, creating, um, uh, you know, artists' impressions of the various projects. You know, for example, uh, some of these projects are... Uh, you know, even even Noble Ape itself. You know, you could uh, you've you've spent some time uh, working on uh, making it visually appealing, and, and the same is true for me. I, I struggle with what I can to get it uh, get it to a point where it's where it's visually appealing. But some of these other projects, like Tom Ray's originally, was extremely extremely hard to get across. So if there's a if there's an artist, uh, if we have sort of an artist in residence who does uh, you know every once in a while does um, an artist's impression of a particular project after having come to understand it to a sufficiently high level talking to, to the, uh, to the person involved, you know, if that kind of graphical representation is on the site and it's just, uh, it, it grabs people and it sort of tells, tells the story very quickly and, and concisely, you know, it's just an artist impression of, of what this thing, what a noble ape really looks like, you know, whatever, you know, what Certainly. I mean? and I, I think also, I mean, people are using YouTube, in this regard too, I mean, a lot of the stuff. Yeah, yeah, that, sure. Uh, Eric sure. Burton and and his his you know the the extended group that follows Eric or maybe Eric is a follower of an extended group. They're putting a lot of stuff out on YouTube currently, and whilst um, whilst it has a kind of uh, late eighties dark future element to it, I think it certainly uh, visually describes. I'm not sure if you've seen any of these videos. There's a fellow called Automaton, which I don't who I don't think is actually uh, Eric Burton. Uh, but uh, he posts up, um, uh, he, he combines music source code editing and actual output from artificial life simulations on YouTube. And mm-hmm. it's fascinating stuff. I mean, it's all, it's all solid elements of psychedelia throughout. Uh, but in terms of the actual process of taking an existing artificial life simulation and adding, for example, a neural network. He has a series of videos. He doesn't talk on the videos. He just shows the source code editing. He has this um, uh, Terence McKenna, Tirithi Lirius-inspired music behind occasionally with their vocals. But he actually shows the process of adding a neural network program to something that's like Framsticks. 
uh, in YouTube video clip form with music behind it. And I mean, I think all this stuff is is wonderful. I mean, I think this, in some, you know, this captures certain elements of the community. Uh, it may not be necessarily your or my cup of tea, but it describes a process associated with editing source code, finding a new project, editing it, testing output, re-editing it, and getting functionality in, which I think probably a, a portion of uh, you know the YouTube public are receptive to. So. My sense currently, and we do this with podcasts as well, is that static images work very well for a certain group of people, but there is another group of people that are interested in the wide variety of other uh, means. Well, there's, there's there's more behind it. I mean, all, <laughs> this is all this is all artificial life, in, 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 and if you if you're talking about life in any way, then there has to be time involved. So these are things that are, you know, at least involve the time. Uh, dimension uh, very uh, you know very centrally, but but at the same time it's uh, it's a question of uh, first impressions and sort of the, uh, the, the 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 yeah sort of like the the thing that jumps out at you when you go to a site what what jumps out at you and if it's uh, if it's uh, several sort of similarly styled uh, obviously done by one artist. Uh, and they are all impressions, uh, well done impressions of of uh, sort of the, the the philosophy or the content of, of various artificial life projects. Then, then suddenly, you know, it's just it's just a question of uh, bam, it's in your face, rather than having to um, you know dig your way through these different videos. I'm I'm going to be producing a, a, a flood of videos when when Tetragochi gets released because it's it's really easy and uh, and it's going to be you know, a good way to um, to publicize things, but still, if you have to deal with that, and then a critter ding video, and then another video, and yet another one, it it becomes a, a real mess for you. And what what uh, a sort of central site has to be able to do is to simplify your world. You know, give it to you easy, it make it make it make it a quick impression that that makes you want to come back, but doesn't overwhelm you. And and you know, uh, even a static artist impression of several projects would be uh, would be the right thing. Certainly, certainly. We have Eric Burton in the chat, and he's just confirming that he knows nothing of the videos that I'm talking about. But uh, I mean, what, it, what it identifies is, in fact, that there are a, a group of folk that are not yet part of the community but seem to be contributing into the community. I agree with you entirely, Gerald. I think uh, uniformity um, plays a very strong role, and what we really need to do is give a series of media links or the potential for a series of media links coming uh, coming off this site um, with with some kind of unified content. So you've raised a, a couple of interesting points um, with regards to firstly the idea of maintenance and secondly the idea of uh, a coherent art associated with the site. And yes, this is this is a call out to the broader community. Certainly, my interest um, initially was to create something which was sufficiently generic, used a, a relatively generic package to enable reskinning and also the ability for people with particular skill sets to come in and do this this kind of work too. Um, so I think what you're what you're echoing is um, we may set up the site in a kind of beta form initially uh, with the hope that someone will come along and say, "Oh, I'd really be interested in maintaining this particular area," or uh, would would you know can I offer my services with regards to the coherence of art associated with this? Um, so. I think uh, the, the idea initially is to create something which is sufficiently generic, and this means 
you know, PHP, SQL backend, this kind of stuff, um, in order to make, uh, well, in order to ease in someone that has a particular skill set that wants to do uh, their own kinds of modifications. But um, I've, I have been in correspondence with one fellow in particular in the community that does this kind of stuff in the Bay Area, um, particularly because I don't want to make these kind of mistakes early on. I don't want to pick a package that no one will be able to come in and maintain, and I don't want to use something which is um, almost at the end of life, and it's very difficult to actually survey um, these kind of uh, social content uh, creation sites and get a sense of uh, how close the end of life it is. And certainly the, the feedback that I received from uh, Adil, and shout out to Adil in the Bay Area, um, was that the package that I'm looking at, and if folks are interested, it is elgg.org, uh, offers enough functionality for us to do what we're talking about, and certainly the additions that you were describing, Gerald, um, also easily easily added. Um, so I think, in terms of the notion of skill sets within the community, in order to contribute to this, that's really the, my whole motivation with regards to making it a dynamic site to to start off with. That there'll be folks in the community that'll be able to maintain their own projects or take a broad interest in a series of projects and assist there. Um, so. Again, this is a call out to the community for uh, feedback and uh, general discussion from our chat today, Gerald. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, it's uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, there um, it, it's always a challenge because when you're uh, when in, in a way the participants in this uh, story are people who really like to code, and uh, and and that makes it difficult to, uh, to to present things unless other people are involved who have uh, sort of different talent sets because. Uh, you know, laboring in obscurity is is, uh, is very very possible. I I consider it very important to get myself you know associated with some people who can really produce different uh, you know, different appearances for things because I know the limits are there's a limit to what I can do. Certainly, certainly. Well, Gerald, I'd like to thank you for the chance to chat with you today. We've we've covered almost every topic that I wanted to talk about, and certainly given a, a greater kind of discussion to the community of, of my own thinking and your thinking and the potential future with regards to the site. In terms of in terms of Darwin at Home Tetragotchi, is there a, a five minute update you can give associated with that? Yeah, things are coming along. <laughs> um, I've got uh, some potential for other uh, uh, revenue-generating clients, so this is going to get in my way in, in the next few weeks at least. Uh, I've also got a vacation planned in Berlin next week, and uh, we're leaving on Monday. So uh, that means that I have a week of evenings uh, of programming on, on Tetragochi, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be helpful for the, first, for the next week at least. But then after that, I think I have to uh, start working on some other things uh, as well. It's going to take up some of my time. But anyway, things are going well indeed. There, um, I've, I've got. Uh, I've been the last while. I've been playing uh, with, or basically, yes, uh, starting up two clients on my screen and uh, seeing what it's like to be an actual player with another player there. I've got the whole client server thing working and the. Uh, the um, the server is uh, you know serving up in HTTP all the necessary stuff uh, to you know the the entire world is being um, being delivered to the clients and everything and it's also uh, every 30 seconds storing the entire universe to uh, to a disk file so I'm going to be uh, on my server eventually I'm going to be filling up the disks with uh, you know, with uh, snapshots of every 30 seconds and the result of that is that I'll be able to go back and 
uh, retrospectively film something that happened, you know, bring it to light and, and, uh, and publish a YouTube video about it. So if anything ever interesting ever happens in the world, then I can always just, um, you know, scroll back to that position and that place and, uh, and film it. So that's going to be an interesting way to, uh, to sort of have some Tetragochi archaeology. But there's still some uh, some game aspects that I have to work out. I've got most of the, I mean, everything basically is working infrastructure-wise. It's just there's a there's a few details that I have to work out yet, and um, and then I'll be able to do a first cast. I'm not really rushing myself to put this online for general consumption because I have the impression that once it's out there, it's probably going to get a, a, a fair bit of attention as is. So I'd rather take the time to do it just right. And uh, so that's that's what I'm focusing on right now, just uh, getting getting the details as far as I can go, just just right. And then sometime uh, in the next month, uh, in March, um, I will be uh, getting a, a group of people together to give it a first alpha test, uh, you know, in uh, in a controlled environment. And then um, and then you know, once it's starting to prove itself, and I've got the I've got to the point where it's uh, refined enough, then then I'm willing to uh, put it online. But it's coming along nicely. Very good, very good. And I'm I'm looking forward to I've subscribed to your YouTube channel and I'm looking forward to uh seeing the, the beta test interaction go out via YouTube as well. I'm assuming you're planning on doing that too. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll I'll be um you know, I'll be publishing constantly as as the time approaches, you know, the the odd video and and blog post and uh, and podcast and stuff like that. But um I'm I'm really sort of looking forward to a time, and it might take you know some time towards the end of March, or depending on the other stuff that I have to do. It, it always takes second priority because I don't make money at it, and uh, so it might be sometime in April. That um, but then I'm you know looking forward to really seeing. Uh, I really want to have it to, in a state where it's you know bulletproof enough, intuitive enough that um, that I can. And, and you know, scalable enough that enough people can actually uh, play with it at the same time, um, that I can really justify, you know, uh, screaming it from the rooftops. Pretty and good. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that prematurely. Certainly, certainly. Well, when you're ready to scream it from the rooftops, there'll certainly be uh, this podcast and potentially other podcasts uh, to uh, enable you to do that. And certainly, I think. Well, the plan is to use everything in parallel when the time comes. Very Just, good. You know. Very good. Well, I, I look forward to hearing your screams associated with that. And, Gerald, <laughs> it's been wonderful as always talking. I guess this is probably the best time to talk to you. Yeah, pretty well. Terrific. Well, next time we chat, I'll make sure it's around uh, 10 a.m. Pacific my time. And lots of folk in the chat today. Uh, Shout-outs to all of you. Thank you very much for uh, for chatting once again, Gerald. Thanks, for folks, for listening in. Nice talking, Tom.